Good morning to each one of you. It's a blessing to be here and worship together this morning. Why don't you all turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. For an opening passage. There's some thoughts uh, I've been thinking about a bit over the last week and thought I'd share them with you, although I'm sure many of them you've possibly thought of and are well aware of. It's good to be reminded sometimes. Um, I, the main focus or the text verse I have this morning is in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 11. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? So the title of this meditation is, What Manner of Persons Ought We to Be? So, seeing that all these things shall be dissolved, I'd like to get a bit of context here. If we go back to um, verse 3 of chapter 3 there. It says, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they were, they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and earth standing out of the water and in the water. Whereby the world that was then was, being overflowed by water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, being by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of God of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, but of, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? So as we, back in verse 3, I thought it was interesting as... Um, Peter lays out how these last days shall be. He talks about um, the scoffers that are willingly ignorant of, of creation and of the flood. And it's interesting to see that is, that is the day we're in today. Maybe, I'm sure that was back in Peter's day too possibly, but today so much the more. And we, um, it's 
interesting how accurately we see that being um, in the people around us in the world. They're willingly ignorant. The evidence is there. They just aren't willing to see it. <coughs> and sometimes we can, it's easy to, um, easy to think that the earth has been going for so long that, you know, we could have a few thousand years yet. You know, we don't know, right? Because... 2,000 years, well, it's 4,000 years or more since the flood, and 2,000 years ago, um, Jesus came to earth. But as we see there in, in verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness. The time, the space of time that has passed is no big thing with God. It's not, he's not bound by time. All his purposes and promises he made to us will be fulfilled. It says in the end of verse 9, he is long-suffering to us who are not willing that any should perish, that all should come to repentance. So that gives us a bit of a picture of God's heart and why it's so long, we may think it's long. He is, he wants every man to be saved. But we, we see right after that that God's judgment is sure. The day of the Lord will come. If you look in this verse, it's in, what stood out to me is all the, um, can't think of the right word. All the um, definite statements he makes here. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. This is fact. It's going to happen. <clears throat> Before we go on further here, I'd like to turn to First Thessalonians. In chapter 5, Paul um, has a bit of a similar line of thought here, uh, reading, starting in verse 1. But of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as to veil upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. And we just read uh, back in Peter that he also said the same, same thing, that it will come as a thief in the night. But Paul goes on to say, But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye all are the children, all the children of light, and the children of day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. 
So we, unlike the unbeliever and the person of the world, we know when that day is coming. And we know that any day could be our last. You know, we know that God's coming back sometime, but we don't know when our last day may be. And Paul says this, that that day should not overtake us as a thief. So we've been, we know it's coming, we've been warned, it's up to you and I to make sure we're ready. Are we, do we actually, question that came to me as I was considering this, do I live my life as though any day could be my last? Am I truly ready to go at any time? And if not, am I actually, do I actually truly believe this from my heart, that that day is coming? It says in verse 6 there, Let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. So we see there are those who sleep and do not are not ready. So I have this illustration that came to me this morning. Um, I'm sure all illustrations can break down somewhere. But I uh, considered this bow and arrow as our, this bow being our life here on the, our earthly tabernacle and this arrow being our spirit. During our lifetime, we make decisions and choices that affect which direction this arrow might point. And through our life, you know, where this arrow is ready to go and we control the direction. We control which which way this points. But the one thing, unlike most hunters, when you're hunting, we like to control when we let the arrow go. But in our in our physical life, that's not something we control. <coughs> so we control the direction through our decisions in life, but what we don't know is when that arrow will go. When our life when our time will be. So it's utmost importance to keep our life in line with God's word at all times because we don't know. Once, once that arrow is shot, it's, its course is, is set, its destination is set, can't be altered. So now going back to First Peter chapter 3 again. There in verse 11, we'll look at the last part of the verse. What manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? first thing we we are to be first thing we see there is we are to be we ought to be in all holy conversation and the word conversation as I'm sure you know basically means behavior or conduct 
and it's speaking of our relations and interactions with the world around us. So what manner of persons ought we to be in this present world, and how should we conduct or behave ourselves until the Lord comes for us? Peter says we're supposed to be a holy people. In, back in First Peter, he talks about this. Even as God who has called us is holy, we are to be holy in all manner of conversation in our way of life. And this word holy here is the same word it uses when it describes the holiness of God. <clears throat> so it's not like some lesser holiness that we are asked to attain to. It is the same, the same level of holiness that God himself is. And holy basically has two part, a two-part meaning. It has the idea of being set apart, set apart from the world and being consecrated unto God. I'm sure you've heard um, said before. So I'd like to look at that a little bit. We are to be set apart from sin and from this world. We are to be clean and pure in our heart and body, and we're to be set apart unto God in his service and to work in his kingdom. He wants us to live, be holy, and live separated lives, not unequally yoked with the world, not um, doing what the things the world does and being um, joining in their activities and pleasures. The Lord wants us to be separated from sin in his power. But also the second part of holy, being consecrated unto God, is instead of serving sin, we are now serving God and his purpose for us. Instead of serving Satan, we are serving Jesus. And instead of serving the world and its sinful institutions, we serve in the kingdom of God. And this can this can work out in our um, works out in our daily lives, whether it's at our work, on our job, how we how we um, respond to our boss or our customers, um, it all is um, as we serve this being set apart or. Serving the Lord isn't just something we do on Sunday. It's not something that we do in our quiet time. It works out in every in every part of our life. Remember, this is <coughs> Peter talks about a holy conversation. This is our way of life. It's what the people see every day in our lives. Are we being servants of Christ in everything we do? And then secondly, here in this um, verse, it says, holy conversation and godliness. So we are to be godly people on the inside, too. The, um, our conversation, the, out, the outward, maybe you would say, that people see, it's some inward, too, but we're also supposed to be godly on the inside. It might not be what people see so quickly. 
So I'd like to consider just a couple areas of inward godliness that we might think about. Um, one being the government of our heart. Who decides what decides um, or controls where we go and what we do in our heart? Is Jesus the truly reigning supreme in making decisions in our lives? And who or what do we love the most in our heart? Who receives our affections and what do our hearts long for? These are all parts of godliness working out in our life. What about prayer? How much time do we devote to prayer in private, just seeking the Lord? Or joy? Who or what gives us the most pleasure or delight? Who brings us the most joy in our hearts? Our vision. Are we continually watching and waiting for the Lord's return? Are we watching out for the evil devices of the enemy? Are we always looking for opportunities to serve the Lord and magnify his name? Is is each area of our life um, godly the whole way through, not just partially? So we see that all these things are going to be dissolved. This, this whole world, this life, is short. It's just passing away. And Peter makes it clear here, and there's numerous other passages that say similar things, that that should affect how we live our day-to-day life, should change the way we go about our work and our activities. When Jesus is reigning upon the throne of our heart, we will love him supremely above all others in our life. We'll spend much time meditating on the things of the Lord. We'll spend much time alone with the Lord in secret prayer. Jesus will be our chief joy and delight throughout our days. The Lord will put a new song in our heart. We'll have a vision for his soon coming, and we'll look for opportunities to serve him more with the time he has given us. Then I have just a couple of verses in Titus. Sort of in closing here that sums up what I was just saying. Titus chapter 2, verse 12. Teaching us that denying I'm not ungodliness and worldly lust we should live soberly righteously and godly in this present world looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works so we have we have that blessed hope to look forward to that glorious appearing and that is one reason that we um, purify ourselves and we're zealous of good works as you see there in the 
in the end of uh, verse 14. He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. So in closing, have just a couple of verses from James. It says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruits of the earth, and hath long patience for it, till he receive the early and latter rain. Be also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. So sometimes we can face difficult things in our life and difficult circumstances, but it helps to remember that all this is temporal. It's not going to be this way for long. And like that arrow or that bow, this life is just a preparation for our eternal life. And that should give us comfort to as the verse there in James says, Be patient, also establish your heart, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. So that's all I have.